Thank you for tuning in to the Voice of the Victim podcast. We discuss a lot of sad and potentially triggering things on this show. We try to be as sensitive and cautious as possible, but if you are sensitive to things involving abuse and may be triggered, please think twice before listening to our show. There are over 700,000 sexual offenders in the United States alone. With all the social media these days, how can we protect ourselves and our children from these despicable predators? Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast, where we discuss criminal cases that involve some factor of abuse. Our goal is to spread awareness of abuse that could be taking place around any of us and encourage everyone to take responsibility and report if they see a child or an adult being abused. Brandy Hanna was a 32-year-old woman who worked as a waitress in North Charleston, South Carolina. She worked along with her mom, Donna, and the two of them were very close. When they weren't together, they would call each other regularly to keep in touch. Donna had even started paying for Brandy's cell phone contract while she was struggling financially and had been relying on prepaid phones. Brandy had recently become single after a dramatic love triangle which eventually left her alone and heartbroken. But the situation got even worse for her, and soon her heartbreak would be nothing compared to what she would go through next. Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. I'm Ryan. And I'm Rosie. This week, we're going to shake things up a bit and tell a story that's a bit of a mystery still. It's actually quite a bit of a roller coaster, and so we want to thank our wonderful listener and patron, Shannon, Shannon, for recommending this case to us. It's very interesting and honestly has nowhere near enough attention, so hopefully if more people start talking about this girl, more answers will come out in time, but we're going to be talking about Brandy Hanna this week. But first, <laughs> Rosie, do you have exciting news for our listeners? Um, you mean the shirt? Yeah. <laughs> I ordered a shirt on Threadless. I haven't gotten it yet, so it's not that exciting quite yet. Oh, yeah, I just, I feel bad about not ordering you one before. Actually, you ordered me the shirt. Yeah. I didn't actually I order just, it. I just wanted to say why I didn't order it oh before. It's because I didn't know which style you wanted or what size you would want. So You're just concerned because someone said... To get your wife a shirt. No, it's good, though, because I would have ordered you a woman's shirt, mm-hmm. but you wanted a men's shirt. So I like the, I like the cut of guy shirts and yeah. t-shirts. So it's good that I waited. Mm-hmm. It is. Anyway. But yours came, and they're quite nice. Yeah, they're the tri-blend is such nice yeah, guys, quality. Don't chintz and get the heavy blend. No, the heavy blend is nice, too. Heavy weight. I like it's not nice. It depends what kind of fabric you want. The tri-blend is soft, breathable, and light. I like the heavy blend because I can, or the heavy weight, because when I'm feeling uh, self-conscious and fat, it's better at hiding Because it's a cheaper material, and it is stiff. It's not cheaper. (laughs) It's like, anyway, why are we talking about this? (laughs) Let's get serious. Let's jump into the story of... Brandy Hanna. So, Rosie, do you want to talk about who Brandy Hanna is? Sure. Brandy Hanna was born on November 16, 1972, in North Charleston, South Carolina. Her mother's name was Donna Hanna. 
and I couldn't find anything about who her father was, so I'm guessing he didn't play a huge role in her life. Donna's family was very helpful in raising Brandy. Eventually, she had a couple younger brothers, Shane and Michael. Brandy had blonde hair and blue eyes, and as a child, she was shy at times, and at other times could be very outgoing and fun. I can relate to that. Like, at first it sounds weird, but, I mean, I'm super shy when I meet new people usually, but at the same time, I really don't mind being the center of attention. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. It's a weird combination, and I... I'd say you're the same way, Rosie. Yeah, I thought you just wrote that sentence about me for a sec. A friend of the family said Brandy was the kind of girl that could take an activity that most people would find ordinary and make it into something fun and fantastic. That also sounds like you, Rosie. You have a little spunk to you. Aww. (laughs) As Brandy grew up, she enjoyed pencil sketching. She was also a bit of a tomboy and didn't mind getting dirty. Also, she was described as very sweet and caring. Wow. Similarities just keep piling on. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) You really have a lot in common with her. She also liked the beach, so there's another thing. (gasps) I need this girl's number. Brandy was really close with her mother. Donna made Brandy feel like she could talk to her about anything, and she did. Donna worked as a waitress at a restaurant called Alex's, and when Brandy started working, she got a job at the same place working with her mother. Yeah, at first, Brandy was a bit worried about working as a waitress because, you know, she did have that shy side, and you gotta be pretty social when you're a waitress. You always gotta be on and make people happy. That sounds terrible. I know. She would try to hide in the kitchen at first as much as she could and stay busy back there helping them out. Again, I can relate. I mean, sometimes social anxiety really gets the best of you. Brandy eventually started working at another restaurant called Pappy's, and there she got more and more comfortable with the customers. I gotta say really quick, it sounds like a really fun job to work at Pappy's. <laughs> Way more fun than Alex's. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? You're like, where you work? Ah, I work at Pappy's. I don't know. <laughs> Isn't there a Pappy's in there the is. town we live? Yeah. I, I, it's disgusting. I don't want to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> The incentive of getting bigger tips helped her to open up and get over shyness. She became a really charming server and got kind of popular within the restaurant. Sometimes people would even request her by name to be their server. Wow. Yeah, we've had servers like that before that we wish we got every time. May from Acapulco. Yeah, well, well, I guess. She doesn't work there anymore, and it's not her last name. It's fine. Yeah, true, true, true. Okay, well, with all this experience, um, she decided that this was actually what she wanted to do for the long haul, uh, working as a waitress. And I imagine it's somewhat satisfying working in customer service and making personal connections like that, especially when people start requesting you by name. But I did look look this up because I was curious, and in South Carolina, it's one of those states where employers don't need to pay you minimum wage. They are only required in 2019 to pay their servers $2.13 an hour to be there because of tips. So they're basically living off of just the tips, making like maybe 16 bucks a day otherwise. And personally, I think that's just ridiculous. They Hmm. should at least get minimum wage for their time of being there, you know? Yeah. Do we live in a state? Uh, Minnesota is required to pay minimum wage, but Wisconsin doesn't need to. Weird. 
Or, or it could be the other way around, but I think it's Minnesota. We live in Minnesconsin, so we don't yeah. know. Interesting. Near the end of 1999, she started dating a man named Michael Ray McAdams Jr. Well, that's a mouthful. <laughs> Most people called him Ray, and so we will too. Oh, good. Their relationship seemed to be going really well, and Brandy seemed very happy in it. Things went so well that she ended up moving in with Ray. Every time I hear that name, Ray, I think of Amy Winehouse. <laughs> oh I'd rather stay I, home oh, with yep. Ray. It was in bed with Ray, but... Oh, really? Mm-hmm. thought it was at home. At home, in bed. No. Pretty sure. You always get lyrics wrong. <laughs> Let's just say that. I'm, I'm sorry, was that too mean? Pretty sure that you're right about that, but I'm right about this. Okay, I'm going to look it up really quick. I'd rather be at home with Ray. Dang it! I guess I just added the in bed part. <laughs> <laughs> that's just what you sang because that's what you heard. Ray had a sister-in-law named Amy McAdams. who Wasn't also that an actress? Amy Adams. Oh, Amy Adams. No, Mick. Isn't she the one that's from Minnesota, from Chanahassen? Yes. That's pretty cool. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> distracted. Getting really distracted here on VOV. Okay. Anyway, Amy worked at Pappy's with Brandy. She was one of Brandy's best friends, and this was fortunate because eventually Ray proposed to Brandy. They looked forward to starting a new life together. I'm wondering if that's how Brandy met Ray through Amy. Again, this case is so obscure, it's hard to find little details like that. Ray worked for a local plumbing and construction company. The owner had a son named Garland Lankford, but most people call him Zeke, so we will too. Zeke and Ray were good friends. Zeke was married and had kids, but in 2004, he and his wife started having a really rough patch in their relationship, which led them to separating. Yeah, and after this separation, Zeke was pretty beat down. He had nowhere to live, and he was pretty broke. I'm guessing he was probably paying alimony or child support or something. Mm. So, being a good friend, Ray offered to let Zeke stay with him and Brandy. They provided him a place to live and kept him fed to help him get back on his feet after the separation. So, Zeke lived with the two of them for a while. Wait, are they just engaged at this point? Yeah, Ray and Brandy are engaged. Zeke is living with them because... Yeah. You know. I was wondering. This is not going to... Be good for the relationship. Nope. Never I mean, is. Just in general, if you have a couple, especially a new couple, living together and you add another person into the mix, even just their own kid, things get tougher. Mm-hmm. But now they got this guy, Zeke, living with them. And long story short, one thing led to another, and Brandy and Zeke were super attracted to each other. No. Yeah, so they started hooking up, but she really didn't want to tell Ray what was going on. You know, (sighs) difficult. But so now Ray is being betrayed by his best friend and his girlfriend. And I mean, he was kind enough to let Zeke crash at his place, and now Zeke is stealing his girl. That's so terrible. I know, I'd be pretty pissed if I were him. But at at first, he didn't even know about it. Well, around this time, Brandy quit working at Pappy's with Amy and went back to working with her mom at Alex's. 
Brandy tried to keep her relationship with Zeke away from Ray, but the next month in April, in one way or another, Ray found out about the relationship. Either Brandy finally told him about it, or he just found out. But once he knew, he kicked Zeke out. He kicked Zeke out of his place. Yeah, I can't blame him for that. I'd do the same thing. Uh, yeah, that really sucks for Ray. Ray was hurt by Brandy, but he didn't want to break up with her. He thought they could work things out, but Brandy just couldn't let go of Zeke. She was head over heels falling for this guy, so she left him. She left Ray. I can't believe it. Mm-hmm. That's really terrible. Yeah. A lot of Brandy's friends and family tried to talk Brandy out of pursuing Zeke, saying that he wasn't right for her. Yeah, but you know how it is when you want something and people are telling you not to do it? That rarely stops a person from following their own desires, and I mean, that's understandable. It's just a kind of craptacular way to leave somebody. <laughs> craptacular, yeah. Brandy would end up leaving many of her belongings behind, along with her comfortable home with Ray. I mean, it... She left her stuff for Ray to deal with? It seems like she really, really liked Zeke, and there was a little more to her relationship with Ray that we haven't talked about yet. Oh. But, I mean, I don't want to cast her in a negative light over this situation. Okay. I'm just saying that it would suck to be Ray at this point. Yeah. Hmm. Her and Zeke struggled to find a place to live and had to settle for a neighborhood that was kind of infamous for being unsafe. It was a relatively decent apartment for the area and just over a mile away from Alex's, so she could easily walk or get a quick ride to work. And we should mention Brandy did not have a car at this point. To secure the apartment for themselves, they had to pay a security deposit, which neither of them could afford. The new couple actually went to Donna, Brandy's mom, asking for a loan to cover the deposit. Although Donna was against them living in this neighborhood, and not too keen on them being together at all, she reluctantly agreed and loaned them what they needed. And this really shows what a supportive and loving mother Donna was. She put her daughter's happiness ahead of her own, even when her daughter was in her early 30s. That's a really self-sacrificing parent right there. After they moved into this place, Brandy seemed to be happier than she had been in a long time. Yeah, maybe Zeke was just really good to her, and more of what she needed in life. The two of them wanted to start building a life together, but it was difficult, because Zeke wasn't officially divorced from his wife yet. On top of that, Ray was continuously calling and visiting Brandy to try to get her to come back to him. Well, that's never a good idea. Mm -mm. He would show up to Alex's, where Brandy and Donna worked, and try to change her mind. That never works. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, Brandy and Zeke's relationship was off to a rocky start. But things got even worse for her when Zeke dropped this bombshell on her. Zeke told her, just weeks after moving in together, that he had decided to go back to his wife and children to work things out. And within minutes, he was gone. Wow. So, she had thrown away a six-year-long relationship, <laughs> a comfortable home, and several of her belongings to be with this guy. And suddenly, within a couple of weeks, he just flakes out. He's just done with her. That's gotta suck. That's real rough. Brandy was completely devastated. 
but she respected Zeke's decision. She wasn't going to try to keep a father away from his children or try to break up a marriage if he wanted to keep it together. Yeah, that's really sweet of her. This is just such a complicated and messy situation. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I would want nothing to do with a situation like that. Yeah, needless to say, her life is very, very complicated at this point. After Zeke left, Brandy decided to keep the apartment and stay single for a while to focus on herself. She hadn't been single for six years and just wanted to figure things out personally and take time to collect herself. She was determined to move forward and make the best of it. But in the back of her mind, she secretly hoped that Zeke would change his mind and return to her. (laughs) Isn't that the way it goes? I was personally never truly over a girl that had broken up with me until I had found someone new, you know? Even when we started dating Rosie, I was still kind of heartbroken and healing from my previous relationship after being cheated on and dumped. It was super annoying. (laughs) It was only a few weeks before we started dating. It's not an easy thing to shake. Mm -hmm. But in retrospect, I probably wasn't ready to start a new relationship, but... Things seem to have worked out so far. So far. (laughs) (laughs) I had to throw that in. (laughs) But you just love when I talk about that, don't you? (laughs) Yeah, I sure do. Ray heard about the breakup and started trying even harder to get Brandy to come back to him. I can see that coming. Yeah. Brandy was pretty resolved, though, not to go back to Ray. And it seems like they had some relationship issues. Yeah, Brandy had opened up to her friend, Robin. We don't have specifics about why she said this, but she told Robin that she was afraid of Ray. What we do know is that people noticed when Ray was around, he was a very intimidating presence and seemed that he wanted to exercise control over Brandy. Yeah, so we're probably a little harsh on Brandy for the way she left Ray. Maybe there were bigger factors about the relationship that no one knew about that caused her to fear him like this. Unfortunately, she never told anyone specific, so we have no idea what she actually experienced while living with him. Hmm. This brings us to May 19th, 2005. Despite the complicated relationship issues Brandy was having with Ray, his sister-in-law Amy was still really close to Brandy. She came to Pappy's that day, where Amy worked, for lunch, and told her that she wanted to take the weekend off to relax and clear her mind. She planned on spending her time at the beach, but wanted to buy a new swimsuit. Brandy didn't have a car, so she asked Amy if she'd be able to take her shopping the next evening, on the 20th. The next day, Friday, May 20th, 2005, Brandy worked from 7 a.m. to 2.30 p.m., She was her normal, outgoing, and bubbly self that day, and she was in a really good mood because Zeke had actually gotten a hold of her and said that he wanted to meet up and talk. Yeah, so maybe he wanted to get back together with her or something? Brandy wasn't sure and didn't want to get her hopes up, but secretly that was what she wanted. But her excitement didn't last the entire day. While she was still working that day, Brandy got a phone call on the restaurant's main phone line. People noticed that while she was on the call, her entire demeanor shifted, and she seemed disappointed and a bit worried. One of the customers actually noticed her reaction to the call, so he asked if she was all right. 
She didn't give any details, but what she did say implied that the person she talked to scared her a little bit. Mm-hmm. Brandy's friend Robin could tell something was wrong with Brandy and asked her about it. Brandy told her the call had something to do with Zeke's ex-wife. Which oh. was pretty interesting. It wasn't clear if the call was from his ex-wife or just someone letting Brandy know that Zeke's ex-wife wasn't happy with Brandy. Either way, her worried demeanor faded away and she eventually got back to her normal self. Later, her mother Donna arrived at work near the end of Brandy's shift. She actually helped Brandy set up the voicemail on her new cell phone. Yeah. It's funny. Because of financial difficulties, Brandy had been using a prepaid phone around this time. So Donna got Brandy a real phone on her contract so it would be easier to keep in touch with her. But Brandy didn't know how to set up the voicemail. How often do you see parents helping their kids with technological things (laughs) like this? (laughs) Technology. Donna showed Brandy how to set up her voicemail. And as a joke, she recorded the outgoing message. This is Brandy's mommy. Leave a message if you want to talk to her. (laughs) (laughs) I changed that pretty quick. (laughs) Brandy thought this was really funny and actually ended up keeping it as her outgoing message. Well, there's one difference between you two. (laughs) Just before 3 p.m., Brandy headed home from work. She grabbed an iced tea to go and said goodbye to her mother. She got a ride home from a retired police officer named Andy Ragno. Is that right now? who drove people around town for a few dollars. Yeah, this is kind of cool. It would be a good way to make a couple bucks and keep busy after you retire and get some social interaction with your neighbors. Yeah. I would do that. I don't know if we live in an age where um, it would work. but Yeah, well, now you could just be an Uber driver. Yeah, but then you don't know who's going to be getting in your car. You know, you just take whoever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> On the ride, Brandy was really excited for her weekend of relaxation. When he dropped her off, she waved and said, See you Monday. He watched to make sure she got to her apartment safely before he left. So remember, this wasn't the safest neighborhood. Around 5 to 5.30 p.m., Donna had spoken to her daughter on the phone. Brandy told her that she had been texting with Zeke, and he was thinking about finding a way to stop by and chat with her that night. My guess is that his ex-wife didn't really want him to go see Brandy, so he kind of had to find a way to work around that. That night, around 8 p.m., Brandy texted Amy to confirm their plans. Amy let Brandy know that her shift at work was going a bit later than she expected, but that she'd pick her up and go shopping as soon as she could. Brandy's mother, Donna, was at the restaurant where she worked with her daughter, and as the dinner rush was slowing down, she was thinking about Brandy and had a strange feeling in her gut. She called her daughter to check on her, but it went to voicemail. Donna left a message, but she didn't hear back from her for a while. This wasn't like Brandy to not get back to her mother. She was very much attached to her phone, always on it. So Donna was worried when her daughter didn't call back in a short amount of time. And I just want to clear something up. Did I already say this? But um, So when Brandy started working... She was working at Alex's with Donna, her mom. Right. Then she moved to Pappy's to work with Amy. Mm-hmm. But then she had gone back to um, Alex's and started working with her mom again. So I think that was clear. Okay. I wasn't sure. 
Donna tried calling Brandy several more times. This made her feel even more uneasy than she already had. But she figured Brandy had probably fallen asleep. At 10.30 p.m. that same night, Amy finally got off work and drove over to Brandy's apartment to pick her up for a swimsuit shopping. <sighs> swimsuit shopping is the worst. Say that three times fast. <laughs> no. <laughs> she knocked on the door, but no one answered. She tried a few more times and started to get worried. Looking in the windows, the only light she saw was from the TV, which was left on. Amy called Brandy's phone, and she heard it ringing inside the apartment. But there was no answer. She figured that Brandy had just fallen asleep because Amy got off work later than she had expected. And apparently, it was pretty typical for Brandy to fall asleep on the couch while watching TV. I mean, she had a job where she was on her feet all day, and she had to be social and constantly on the ball, you know? So mm -hmm. by the time she relaxed, she was pretty tuckered out. The next morning was a Saturday. Donna tried again to get a hold of her daughter on the phone. But after several unanswered calls, she went to Brandy's apartment. She also saw no lights on inside. And when she tried calling again, she didn't hear any ringing from inside the apartment. Now, when Amy was there earlier and called and heard the phone inside, it was the prepaid phone that she was calling. And I'm guessing when Donna called, she was calling the new phone that oh. she'd given to Brandy. But I'm sure, I'm sure Donna tried both numbers, you know, being worried about her daughter and where she was. But it could be possible that Brandy had left the house with just the new phone. And mm -hmm. left the prepaid one behind and was just ignoring it, which right. which would mean, you know, she probably left um, willingly. Trying not to assume the worst, Donna assumed Brandy had just gone to the beach like she had been planning and wasn't paying attention to her phone. This makes total sense to me. Same. Yeah, she was going to spend time at the beach to disconnect and unwind. And Rosie, what do you do when you're at the beach? I chuck my phone. <laughs> do you even bring your phone? Um, rarely. And if I do, it's only for pictures. True. Yeah. I, I mean, this is 2005, so it's most likely a flip phone, not a smartphone. So it's a little less stressful, not as much crap to get distracted with. But um, getting away from contact with people is part of the joy of a relaxing beach day, I think. Oh, you how know? wonderful. It just sounds like... Paradise. I mean, if anything, I'll just bring a Bluetooth speaker and play nice beach music, Bob Marley and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. stuff like that. But Some Jim Buff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Jim Buff. <laughs> that night, Amy, the friend, tried calling Brandy to find out why she'd flaked out on their plans the night before. But again, Brandy didn't answer. Amy didn't think much of it because she knew about Brandy's plans to be at the beach. But the whole day went by with no contact from Brandy. Sunday, May 22nd, was the same. Typically on Sundays, Brandy would meet up with her family for breakfast, but not this weekend. Again, this could easily be excused for this particular weekend because of her plans to disconnect. It's just one family breakfast to miss, you know? She just wants to get off the grid for a weekend. Mm-hmm. Donna tried not to worry too much, but she spoke to her co-workers at Alex's, where they both worked, and asked them to let her know if Brandy didn't show up for her 7 a.m. shift on Monday. 
The next day, by 7.15, she hadn't heard anything from the restaurant, so this helped put her mind at ease, because she must have showed up to work. But then her heart sank when her phone rang at 7.20. One of the restaurant employees let her know that Brandy had not shown up for her scheduled shift. Yeah, so at this point, there was just no more room for doubt. Something had to be wrong with Brandy. She was very dedicated to her job, and it wasn't like her to miss work, especially without letting anyone know she'd be absent. This is when Donna called the North Charleston Police Department to file a missing persons report. But they were pretty indifferent to the frantic mother's request. They told her that Brandy was an adult and had the right to disappear without telling anybody. Now, I looked it up and said on average a city police department gets 12 missing persons reports per day per day yeah but this is still such a disappointing response i mean it's been almost three whole days since anyone has heard from her donna's already been really patient you know Mm -hmm. she's coming to them because she knows something's wrong and to me this just comes across as lazy and They can't really use the excuse that she has the right to disappear because she's contractually obligated to be at work when she's scheduled. So Mm. technically, she's obligated to her job to be there, and Mm -hmm. if she's not, they can look for her. Interesting point, Ryan. They just viewed Donna as another frantic mother who was worrying over nothing. Mm. Who am I to judge? But shouldn't they be taking all of these reports seriously? Feeling like she was being completely ignored, Donna remembered that Zeke still had the key to the apartment that he shared with Brandy for a while. Donna called him up and told him what was going on. She asked if he could meet her there, but asked him to wait for her before entering the apartment. Yeah, she wanted to see the exact state the apartment was in, untainted by anyone else, because she had to be her own detective here. The police didn't give a crap about it at this point. When Donna arrived, she saw that Zeke had completely ignored her request. He walked out of the apartment when she got there. She was angry about this. She didn't want him tainting the possible crime scene. She demanded to know why he didn't honor her request, when she specifically asked him not to enter without her. Now, his response rubbed Donna the wrong way. He said, Well, I was worried you were going to find something, and I didn't want you to walk in and see your body. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, this response seems really fishy, depending on how you look at it. I mean, if you're suspicious of him, it seems like he was trying to hide something. But at the same time, he may have also been worried about what could have happened to Brandy and was expecting the worst, you know? Mm -hmm. He He was just dating her, so he probably really cared about her. Maybe he was truly just trying to be considerate of Donna and wanted to be able to warn her if there was, you know, a gruesome scene at the apartment that she was about to walk in on. It's true. It's really hard to say what his motivations truly were here. Yeah, he could have said it like, well, I was worried you were going to find something. I didn't want you to walk in and see her body. That's exactly what he said. Yeah, but I said it in different ways. Yeah. And again, this is a a quote from Donna's recollection, so it might not be an exact quote. But My point was tone, Ryan. Yeah. Tone. I'm sorry. It's okay. Maybe I'm on the spectrum and I just didn't. Maybe. 
Donna was frustrated and confused by what Zeke said to her, but she entered the apartment and was shocked by what she found. The apartment was completely normal. Nothing was out of place, and the only thing missing was Brandy. There was no sign of a struggle or anything askew. Donna noticed that the to-go cup Brandy had taken home from work the last time she saw her daughter was even still there. Yeah, it was three days old and hadn't been tossed out yet, which is pretty odd. And it, su- it suggests that Brandy had been at home, hadn't been at home at all since Friday night, or at least Saturday morning. You know, usually after a day, you'll throw away your trash, you know? You, so, you would hope. At least that's how it is here. I don't know. <laughs> there was also a blanket sprawled out on the couch. It looked like Brandy had been laying there the last time she was home. Yeah, and like we said earlier, that's a pretty typical night for Brandy to spend laying on the couch with a blanket watching TV. She preferred that to partying or going out to clubs. Brandy's prepaid phone was plugged in, sitting on her nightstand, but Donna couldn't find the phone that she had just given to her daughter. So it kind of looks like Brandy had taken it with her wherever she'd gone. Brandy's keys were also gone, so it really seemed like Brandy had left the apartment willingly. Donna had nothing to go off of, no leads about where her daughter had gone. She kept trying to call Brandy and the police. The poor woman was trying so hard to get the police involved earlier, but they were frankly being complete dicks about it. They could have at least tried to help Donna track her daughter's phone or something, just to be sure she was okay. I hate it when quote-unquote rights get in the way of safety, but I guess it's such a complicated discussion. This case is just a really good example of when exceptions could possibly be made. It wasn't until Friday, May 27th, that the Houston police finally agreed to investigate her disappearance. This was a whole week after Brandy was last seen. Now, technically, the police did their jobs correctly here, and they can't be faulted for it. But they wasted so much precious time. The likelihood of Brandy being found just plummeted during this time. A detective checked out Brandy's apartment. He spent less than an hour looking into it. This frustrated Donna because the police seemed to have no interest in actually helping her find her daughter. But the family didn't slow down in doing everything they could. They went door-to-door in Brandy's neighborhood, asking if anyone saw anything. Everyone who actually knew Brandy said that they hadn't seen her recently. The family distributed missing person flyers all over the neighborhood, hoping someone knew something. At the same time, Brandy's uncle worked for the North Charleston Police Department. He got help from a fellow cop and family friend, Lieutenant Rick Keyes. The two of them did what they could to investigate areas around Brandy's neighborhood to look for any clues. So there was this huge abandoned naval base nearby that they were both worried about. It had a ton of rooms in it, and it was trashed by local trespassers. They were worried someone may have hidden hidden Brandy deep within the base because there were a lot of rooms in there, a lot of doors. That's creepy. Yeah. They got as much help as they could for the search, but unfortunately, it turned up nothing. Yeah, Lieutenant Keyes actually had a bit of a break in the case while canvassing the neighborhood. Uh, He spoke to Brandy's neighbor, who says she had actually seen Brandy on the night she went missing. 
It was around 9 p.m. and Brandy came out of her apartment and got into a red truck with a white stripe. The driver was a white male with scraggly hair and a beard. She remembered a unique detail about the truck. There was a hockey mask fastened to the front grill of the truck. Hey, Zook, we're recording here. <laughs> so, anyway, this is when the suspects for um, Brandy's disappearance start to become apparent. Both Ray McAdams and Zeke Lankford had scraggly hair and beards, hmm. and they both drove red trucks that they had gotten from the plumbing company they worked at together, and the red trucks had white stripes on them. But only Ray's truck had a hockey mask on the grill. So it looks like Brandy had met up with her ex-fiance that night instead of Zeke, who she told her mother she'd hoped to meet with. So. Oh. Now Ray is looking pretty suspicious. Yeah, because who drives around in a truck with a hockey mask taped to the grill? <laughs> yeah, I right? would imagine it was probably fastened with like those you plastic. Know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, just scotch tape. <laughs> you know what I mean. Uh huh. So now police had a pretty solid looking lead. They wanted to be sure about the neighbor's recollection, so they asked her to help identify the man. She sat in the car with a Bluetooth earpiece on the phone with Officer Keys. He knocked on the door of Ray's house, and when Ray opened the door, the neighbor was 100% sure this was the man she'd seen with Brandy. Yeah, so it seems like a super solid lead. But they still don't have any real evidence. Police questioned both Zeke and Ray about where they were on Friday, May 20th. Both men had alibis that were confirmed by other people. Ray said he was at a club where he applied to be a bouncer from 8 p.m. to 1 a.m., and a friend confirmed it. So, this is kind of weird. Like, how good is an alibi confirmation by friends or family? It's not that solid because obviously those people are in your corner. You know, they don't want you to get in trouble. Mm hmm. Zeke claimed that he had made plans to meet up with Brandy that night, but he got stuck working late. His brother-in-law confirmed this alibi. Each of the men seemed to implicate the other in Brandy's disappearance. And remember, these guys used to be best friends. And then they were torn apart by sharing feelings for the same girl. So they both have resentment towards each other, and they're both good-looking suspects here. But at this point, Ray is looking like the better suspect. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a good time to mention a strange interaction that Donna had with Ray not long after Brandy dumped him. Ray would often come by the restaurant that Donna and Brandy both worked at, trying to win her back. On one occasion, out of nowhere, Ray said something that was weird to Donna. But now that Brandy was missing, it haunted her. According to Donna, Ray said, I could kill your daughter and get away with it. She was shocked and asked him what he was talking about. And he replied, I could take her and make her disappear and you'd never know. What in the world? That statement alone is enough to make me think that Ray is definitely responsible for the disappearance of Brandy. Mm -hmm. So investigators asked Ray to take a polygraph test he actually agreed with no resistance, and he passed. Now, I know polygraph results are wacky, but 
He did cooperate with police here and didn't act as if he was hiding anything, so that really muddies the water here because he seems super guilty. Maybe he took a special class on how to cheat polygraph tests. That's very possible. I don't know. They also asked Zeke to take a polygraph. He was the one they actually had trouble with. He kept postponing it. It was two months from the time they asked him to when he actually showed up. According to the investigators, he was acting really nervous and kind of strange when he came in for his test. But he also actually did pass the test. So I think... Yeah, I think I'd be nervous taking a polygraph test, Mm -hmm. even if I I had nothing to hide. Because what if I'd be like, I'm not guilty, but what if it? Yeah. I do something wrong. Yeah, that anxiety (laughs) about maybe having a false positive. Because, like, if, you know, if they get the wrong answer and they use that against you, it could ruin your life, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, I think there would be a lot of anxiety for me going into it. And I'd act strange too. (laughs) (laughs) all they really had to work with was the neighbor's id of ray but that's not enough evidence to do anything the case hit a wall to complicate things even further the media barely reported on brandy's disappearance at all because it was already flooded with the news of the girl who had gone missing in aruba 10 days after brandy had last been seen so if you haven't heard the story of natalie holloway uh, Generation Y did a great episode covering her story, and actually I think they should cover Brandy, too. It's it's the kind of case they would cover. Unfortunately, her case greatly overshadowed Brandy's story here because it was so close at the same time, and that continues to this day. Natalie's disappearance is a much more famous story, and we're not saying that it's not as important. I mean, obviously, it's terrible but it would just be nice to be a bit more balanced it was really tough for donna to be missing her own daughter and be seeing another missing girl all over the news but literally nothing about her own daughter brandy yeah there was a specific thing that really broke her heart a local charleston newspaper called post and is that courier yeah wrote an article about natalie who was from mississippi but they hadn't published anything about their own missing local girl. Donna decided to write to the newspaper about it, and they finally did start reporting on Brandy's case. But when she finally resolved that, she got another blow of bad news. Brandy's landlord called and said Donna had to come clear out Brandy's apartment, or they'd toss her stuff on the curb. That's so mean. I know, like, have some sensitivity. Yeah. But on the other hand, if the police would have secured this as a crime scene, this wouldn't have been an issue. But now, the apartment the apartment would have to be cleaned out along with any possible evidence that they didn't even try to collect. You know, if there were any strange fingerprints or any kind of evidence that wasn't apparent to the naked eye, it would all be gone now. Mm. It's heartbreaking, but When Donna and her sister, Yvonne, were clearing out the apartment, they came across this photo of Brandy um, and Donna that Brandy had kept. It was Brandy as a baby in her mother's arms, which had to be so emotional for Donna to come across at this time. 
About three months after Brandy went missing, the Center for Missing Persons finally got involved and organized the first official search with tracking dogs. They gave the dogs Brandy's scent to try to get an idea of where she'd gone that night. There were many volunteers from the community for the search, including Zeke Lankford. I have a hard time saying his last name. That's all right. Lankford. But seriously, three months after she went missing, that's it's a, a long li- time. Yeah, that's a little late. But um, you mentioned Zeke was there. He actually said something during the search that was just as strange as what he said to Donna after he had disregarded her request at the apartment. He asked if the tracking dogs would be able to locate Brandy if she was buried. Hmm. Uh, this is another really weird question. Very true. But again, it could also be viewed as just a curious question out of concern and hope that they'd find her, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, both of his weird comments, depending on how you look at them, can be framed either way. Maybe he's just a weird guy. <laughs> yeah, very passable. Regardless of his motives, investigators asked Zeke not to show up to the next search and to stay away from Brandy's family. They hung a huge banner on the restaurant where Brandy had worked, hoping it would get the attention of traffic on the interstate and bring in more tips. But this didn't lead to anything of use. There were no new discoveries in this case for a long time. To make matters worse, in April of 2006, Ray McAdams, one of the prime suspects, had a heart attack and passed away. Wow. Yeah, he seems so young to die of a heart attack. Unless maybe he had been really stressed out about holding something inside that he knew about Brandy's disappearance. Mm, maybe. I mean, that's just a thought I had. It. He did seem like a really good suspect. He seemed very suspicious after making that odd comment about making Brandy disappear. And, I mean, his truck is the truck that matched the description of the truck at Brandy's apartment on May 20th. Mm-hmm. And the neighbor identified him in person. But now he was gone and could never be charged if he was the one responsible. Another thing that made him seem like a good suspect was some new info that poked a hole in his alibi. He'd met up with his sister-in-law, Amy, to get some items from her. Yeah, he claimed that he was at the club from 8 p.m. to 1 a.m., but he met up with his sister-in-law, Amy, at 9.30 p.m., which was right in the middle of his alibi. So this kind of invalidates his alibi. But again, this didn't lead anywhere because he was dead, so they couldn't follow up with him and ask questions. What items did he get? That's unclear. Hmm. I would really like to know. (laughs) Such such an important detail. (laughs) To me. (laughs) Just two weeks after Ray died, Brandy's uncle, who worked in law enforcement, lost a battle with cancer. Aww. Yeah. Poor Remember, guy. he's the one that put so much time and energy into trying to find his niece. It's mm-hmm. so sad. Five years passed with no information. On November 16th, 2010, Donna told the media about her struggles. She said, You learn to take each day one step at a time, or else I would have fallen apart. I have to keep going. Be strong, because I have to keep looking for her. 
It's very important because I try to keep in people's minds that she is missing. She has been missing, but she has not been forgotten. I just want answers more than anything. To know where she is. To know what happened. (sighs) This poor mother. It's got to be so frustrating to have no idea what happened to your daughter and to be met with so much opposition while trying to find her. But hopefully there will be answers in the future. All we can do is keep talking about her and keep bringing attention to her case. Interest in Brandy's case had all but died. But in February 2011, Sergeant Ron Latcher stopped... I think it's Locker. Like, Lock... I was waiting for you to fix it, so what is it? Locker. Locker? Yeah. Okay. Sergeant Ron Locker stopped into Alex's restaurant after seeing the missing persons poster several times. He didn't usually work missing persons case, but he asked Donna if he could reopen Brandy's case. Of course Donna agreed. I mean, she had been trying to stimulate interest in the case for so long, and she was so glad that someone in law enforcement was actually taking an active interest in her daughter's case. Ron Locker. Sound good? Yep. L-A-C-H-E-R, in case you were curious. <laughs> Started trying to re-interview everyone that had been talked to during the initial investigation. He looked into the evidence collected and was really disappointed that there were so many potential leads that weren't investigated. No one had tried to track that mysterious phone call Brandy received the day she disappeared that seemed to upset her. By the time he tried to get them, there were no they were no longer available. And that's so disappointing because that could have been a huge clue about what happened. He also found that they didn't do any forensic testing on Ray's truck, despite the eyewitness account that saw Brandy getting into his truck. He actually found the neighbor who had identified Ray in the past, and her story hadn't changed. Why didn't they do forensic testing on his truck? I don't know. That's so dumb. These guys gotta clean up their act. Yeah. And as you mentioned, they ta- he talked to the neighbor again who had seen the truck. But in a strange and disappointing twist, she was shown a photo array with six faces. And Zeke and Ray were both in the lineup. But this time, she picked out Zeke. Before, <gasps> she had been so positive that it was Ray. Mm-hmm. And this time, she picked Zeke. Well, these guys look the same? Well, kind of. But they're different enough. But with this one little photo array, the biggest lead in this case has been completely invalidated. She had positively ID'd both suspects. (laughs) Detective Locker shifted his focus from finding out who was involved to specifically what could have happened to Brandy. He heard about an area near the waterfront which had been in the middle of excavation in 2005 when Brandy disappeared. So, there were a lot of dug-up areas and loose rocks and dirt. He was desperate for answers, and would spend entire days putting on old, dirty clothes and digging randomly around this area. One day, he was drawn to a spot near a concrete wall. It was underwater during high tide, but open during low tide. He went there during low tide and started digging. After some digging, his shovel hit something. He dug it out, and it appeared to be the ring-shaped seal from a 55-gallon drum. 
So this got him really interested in this area, and so he kept digging with even more determination. Then he uncovered a shoe. It was a size 10 and a half, Nike cross trainer shoe, blue and white. He looked at the tag on the shoe, and it was manufactured on January 25, 2005, just four months before Brandy's disappearance. Yeah, so when Brandy was last seen, she was described as wearing rel- a relatively new pair of blue and white Nike cross trainers, and her shoe size was 10. And you know how cross trainers typically hug the foot tight, so it's not uncommon to get a little bigger size. I don't know about you, but to me, this seems like it was no coincidence. It has to be Brandy's shoe. There was no DNA found on the shoe, but they brought in a team of archaeologists to dig in the area where he found the shoe. Yeah, they were hopeful that more would be found. But they dug for three days, and they found nothing else usable. And this, while researching this case, this was the biggest disappointment for me, because... Right when you think she'll finally be found, it's another dead end. Mm. But I really do got to hand it to the detective Locker. His efforts in this case were above and beyond. And you can tell he's in law enforcement because he wants to help people. Mm -hmm. You know, he had a passion for this case no one else ever had. Unfortunately, this doesn't really give any more info on what really happened. Although it's possible it could support... One of my theories I have about her at the beach. So, I have a short but sad theory about what could have happened. Maybe Saturday morning came and Brandy went to the beach like she had planned and decided to go into the water by herself. Maybe she went out a little too far and the powerful undertow got the best of her. It's simple and it's grim, but the ocean's a really scary place. I think it's a possibility. So, I don't know. What do you think about my beach theory, Rosie? I think it's possible, but the shoe. Yeah. Well, if she left her shoes on the beach when she walked into the ocean, oh, that's true. they that's may have true. just gotten washed out to sea and then rewashed up and buried under sand. Maybe. But, yeah, I know. It's a long shot, and this isn't the end of the story either. In December of 2016, over 11 years since Brandy's disappearance, Zeke was serving time in jail for sexually assaulting a minor on multiple occasions between 2012 and 2013. But he was being arrested again while in jail. I didn't even know that was possible. Yeah, what do they slap cuffs on? And I think they just <laughs> say, know. hey, you're under arrest for this crime now, and we're hmm. going to charge you again. Weird. But Detective Locker wanted to talk to Zeke about Brandy's case again. Zeke had originally stated that he didn't meet up with Brandy on May 20th, 2005, because he had to work late. But the records from his father's company show that he clocked out at 4 p.m. Well, that's a pretty big discrepancy. He also had claimed that Ray had called him several times asking about Brandy's case, but phone records showed that Zeke had actually been calling Ray. When they asked him about it, he finally admitted that he had seen her that night. The records also showed that Zeke had called in false tips to the police, pointing the finger at other people. He was charged with obstruction of justice. He could have gotten 10 years, 
but they offered him a deal to only get two years if he pled guilty. He took it. But later, Detective Locker got a call from Michael McAdams, Ray's father. He had heard about the trouble Zeke was in, and remembered hearing a story that Zeke had gotten in over his head with some nasty drug dealers, and that he took Brandy and used her as collateral to pay off the debt. Whoa. Yeah, that's a terrifying theory. But it does actually align with the evidence that they have. You know, She would have willingly gone along with him because she still loved him. And if you're wondering about the hockey mask, if he's trying to frame Ray, how hard is it to go to Walmart and pick up a hockey mask? You know, it's pretty easy. He could have set up this whole meeting with Brandy just to use her to save his own butt. And who knows what that phone call she received could have been. Whatever it was, it scared Brandy. And it seemed like it was something about Zeke and his wife. But sadly, we just don't know for sure what happened here. That is crazy. What a twist. Mm-hmm. It's theorized that Brandy was taken, murdered, and dumped somewhere near the Cooper River in North Charleston. But the truth is completely unknown at this point. It could have been premeditated murder, or it could have been an accident. And she could possibly still be out there. You know, her body has never been found. Just a shoe, which she could have just left at the beach. If there was a seal from a 55-gallon drum, though, it's possible her remains could have been destroyed with acid. There's just, there's really no way to know what happened. But based on what we covered last week, talking about J.C. Dugard... People can be missing for a really long time and still show up later. So Mm -hmm. there's no body. Technically, there's no death. But we can all try to keep an eye out for any information we find about her. When she went missing, Brandy Hanna had blonde hair and blue eyes. She's a Caucasian female, 5'9", and weighed about 115 pounds. She was last seen wearing a light blue shirt, jeans, and blue and white Nike cross trainer shoes. She also wore a flowered-shaped diamond ring. She had crooked teeth on top and a gap between her two front teeth. She had three piercings on her left ear and two on her right. She also had a tattoo of a heart between her right thumb and pointer finger and a sun tattoo on her right shoulder. Brandy was last seen on the 3000 block of Florida Avenue in North Charleston, South Carolina. Friday, May 20th, 2005. Yeah, so we can all, you know, just be aware of this and tell other people about it and keep our eyes open. I want to mention quick what Brandy's mother thinks about this. Okay, Burrito, hi. (laughs) We know Ray was looking like a pretty good suspect here, especially after the comment that Donna herself brought up. That really creepy comment about him making Brandy disappear. But after she saw how Ray was cooperative with the police and showed sympathy to her and his general reaction to her disappearance, Donna is pretty convinced that Ray is innocent. And Donna's opinion holds a lot of weight because she's affected by this case the most. So, yeah, I think that that's pretty big. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about this case? Was it Ray? Was it Zeke? Was it an accident? Or do you think it was someone else completely unrelated? Let us know. 
Yeah, and keep your eyes open for Brandy. We'll be posting her photo to our Instagram at VOV Podcast, and you can Google her and find her picture. But yeah, hopefully more answers will come out about this in the future. But it's kind of frustrating right now, just really not knowing. Did you want to share the review? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Let's get to the review portion of the show. But real quick before we start, we want to thank Shannon again for suggesting this episode and just for generally being an awesome listener and patron. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Shannon and John, just for being awesome. Thanks, Shannon. Thanks, John. We finally covered the case you suggested. So (laughs) now we are going to share a review that we liked. And this one comes from Hippie Mom 1975. I already like it. (laughs) It says, I've been listening for a while. I hear the negative things others say in their reviews and I'm disappointed. I love that you share your growth with us. While you get better at difficult words, etc., We get to hear you grow as a show and as a couple. I love the compliments Ryan sneaks in, and it seems Rosie doesn't hear. I love to hear your love for what you're doing and for each other. Thank you. Five stars. Yay. So thank you, Hippie Mom 1975. That's so sweet. That is super sweet. Maybe I don't notice things you say that are nice, or I'm just embarrassed and don't want to comment on them. That either one could be very true. <laughs> we really appreciate all you guys so much and all the sweet comments we get all over on Facebook and Instagram. And Just know that we do notice your comments and they mean a lot to us. If you haven't yet and you're listening to this, you should definitely go join our Facebook group, Voice of the Victim Support System, which is uh, linked in the show notes always. Mm-hmm. And If you can hear a little ringing it's burrito with his ball yeah the (laughs) moment burrito and zook have been very vocal during this episode i think that's it if you want to help support us we'd be very much appreciative you can visit patreon.com slash vov podcast and as always that's linked in the show notes below Mm -hmm. and you can also get t-shirts at vovpodcast.threadless.com which is linked in the show notes yeah definitely check out our store yeah, and we're also on Instagram at VOV Podcast and Twitter at VOV Pod. And our email is VOV Podcast at gmail.com. So you can send anything to us anywhere <laughs> and we will get it. Mm-hmm. And we're working on getting a P.O. box because one of our listeners said they wanted to send us pressed penny after rosie was talking about pressed pennies which would be really cool and just in general we want to have a p.o box to make things a little easier i'm psyched about the pressed penny (laughs) i have a collection yeah you do what (laughs) what's your favorite pressed penny um that's such a hard question i put you on the spot yeah it's probably um probably one from disney world or i got a cool one from arizona I don't know. There's a lot. Didn't you get a Lion King one? Oh, yeah. I got a Lion King one. And a Woody one from Toy Story. <laughs> I may have gone a little overboard at Disney. Yeah. She <laughs> the did. press penny machine. And at Disney, they're like <laughs> like $20 for they're a press penny. They're not $20. <laughs> but I do like go out of my way to get to the machine, no matter how crowded the, the area is. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, they're definitely your main focus when we go places. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Rosie's very good at journaling our life experience. Like she keeps a journal where she writes every interesting thing we ever do, and it's really cool to look back and know that we have that record. Yep, I'm a bullet journaler. And you always save little souvenirs from stuff like concert tickets and movie tickets and mm-hmm. press pennies. I'm terribly unorganized. I don't do anything cool like that. Nothing. Nope. <laughs> anyway. I think that's uh, that's gonna wrap her up for the night. Yeah, yeah. You guys um, need a movie to watch tonight because I got one for you. Really? What is it? Unicorn Store. Oh with yeah. Brie Larson on Netflix. Yeah, it's funny. It's got Brie Larson and um, oh my gosh, Sam Jackson. Sam Jackson. Yeah. Samuel Jackson. My brain is fried because I've written three outlines today and did a phone call, so I'm like. Ready to relax. Well, that movie is amazing. I cried, and I never cry at movies. It's just a really good movie. Mm-hmm. Family friendly, too. I know. I could not believe when you cried. I know. And uh, I don't want to like, spoil it. I can't watch one single Disney movie without crying, <laughs> but Rosie never cries at those. But this one, she did. Mm-hmm. So anyway, <laughs> it's got right. terrible reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, but who cares about Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah, your girl we, Rosie's helping you out. A lot of movies that we personally love have bad reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> okay, now we can wrap her up. All right. <laughs> Thank you all for listening, and have a good night. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I'm still recording.